Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Christina Eames, the Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Metro DC chapter of the Association for Talent Development. And I'm Leticia Niago, the 2022 President-Elect. We also have Helena Hodges, Vice President of Finance and Operations, as our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing a coaching expert, speaker, and author of numerous coaching books, the CEO of Progress Coaching, and the creator of the journal-based coaching training system, Tim Hagen. Welcome, Tim. Hi, Chris. How are you? Well, before we jump into our topic uh, today, which I'm excited about, coaching, training's best friend, please share a little bit about yourself with our listeners. Well, I've been in this business for about 27 years, and I had my epiphany based on the statement you just shared. I always have been infamous for saying training's never been the problem. It's always been the challenge of reinforcement, and there's no greater tool than uh, coaching to do that with staff and, and talent development. And years ago, I was actually doing the direct coaching, and I had a client uh, impress upon me, is it you or is it the system? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I'd love to teach my leaders how to coach the way you coach our people. And that's how the company really expanded into mm. solely being a coaching uh, leadership company that trains and supports and practices with clients. Often we're mistaken as a coaching firm who does direct coaching. Mm-hmm. We actually facilitate the teaching of coaching within uh, workplace settings. I love that. Well, and, and let's just start out. Can you define uh, coaching in the context of being training's best friend? Right. Because as you well know, a lot of people have different definitions for coaching. <laughs> yeah. And I think people have different interpretations of, of training. I, I've always felt that training departments get put in precarious positions. People don't perform by the end of the year. The manager does the end of the year review and then immediately says, we need more training. Training wasn't the missing piece. It was really the reinforcement piece. Mm -hmm. So we've always defined coaching as a two-step process. Number one, it's getting someone to look in the mirror. And that includes strengths and opportunities to grow. And then number two, to take action on number one. The problem is, is most people don't do number one arbitrarily on their own. Rarely will you have someone come into your office and say, Chris, my attitude's going to be terrible this year. And my teamwork is just going to be awful. (laughs) If you could coach me, that'd be great. It's not going to happen, right? (laughs) So. Coaching is a conversation that leaders need to have to build about, build about, you know, self-awareness, to bring about self-awareness, to get someone thinking about what they do well and certainly where they have opportunities to perform well. And when you tie coaching together with training, meaning if a salesperson goes through a class in negotiation skills, how can that manager ask questions? How can that manager practice with that person? If you have a customer service agent going through a course on how to handle angry customers, there's a handoff. People leave training and it tends to be mentally this event. So someone in their mind says, well, geez, I'm done. Well, no, actually now the real work starts. Yet if the manager doesn't facilitate the continuation of that work, guess what happens? that training dissipates. Guess what we do at the end of the year? We blame training. Training's not the problem. So coaching really combined with training is about a handoff. 
So we have to position leaders to know what questions to ask, what activities to facilitate, um, how to use journal-based coaching, how to use observational coaching. And a lot of times organizations feel coaching is this one-on-one time-intensive endeavor. We actually teach 14 different ways to coach, which gives leaders choices. But more importantly, it gives training departments the opportunity to design coaching as a reinforcement tool in direct correlation to their training programs. I love this. There's a lot to unpack here. First, maybe could you uh, talk about how coaching compares to mentoring and advising in this in this context? Yeah, you know that's a really common question that we get, and we're not a mentoring firm by design. I'm not against mentoring. Mentoring and coaching together is extremely powerful. We actually teach organizations to supplement coaching or supplement mentoring with coaching or vice versa. Mentoring is really about guiding and advising and suggesting. Coaching is about asking and having someone self-discover and bring up about awareness and action so they can move forward on their own. So again, when you're advising someone and let's say, Chris, you want to become the president of ATD, I could advise you as maybe a president or someone who's been in that position, here are the steps you need to take. And if I feel like your stand-up presentation skills aren't where they need to be to become a president... I might start asking questions about your presentation skills. The two really work hand in hand together. They are separate initiatives and often they can be confused. Coaching is really about asking questions, getting someone to take ownership of themselves, whereas mentoring is about advising and guiding and suggesting steps and participating with the person. I love that. Yeah. A lot of people confuse those. And I, and I love that you delineated that. Now, the other thing I wanted to unpack is you said 14 different ways, because oftentimes, like I'm, like you stated, right, we get, well, I don't have time uh, to coach. <laughs> so what is your response to that? Um, the number one objection we get is we don't have time to coach. And yep. so before I get into the methods, I always leave this with leaders. And I just did this with an executive team the other day. I said, you don't have time to coach. So what I'm about to demonstrate is coaching upward. And this is tough for people inside organizations. When someone says they don't have time, I always ask a really humorous question. I said, well, what, ha- what happens when someone leaves the organization? What do you mean? I said, well, what happens? Well, we interview and find candidates. I said, you recruit people. Yeah, we recruit people. And they look at you like you're a lunatic. <laughs> I said, do you participate in the interviews? Well, yeah, why? I said, oh, I thought you didn't have any time. <laughs> and they look at you like, okay, you got me. And the reason I say that is it's a defense mechanism for the number, the top two reasons why people don't coach. It has nothing yeah. to do with time. I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say. See, I'd rather just tell you to improve your attitude. Yet now I've got to have a conversation so you can self-discover a positive attitude. I don't know how to do that. That's the number one thing that people bring up, but it's a smokescreen for the two real reasons. So what we teach are three methods. One, direct coaching, one-on-one coaching and group coaching, coaching the team. And we teach a conversation model. When we practice with our clients, our conversation model, nobody believes us until they start practicing it. It takes only eight to 10 minutes to have a targeted, fruitful, impactful conversation in a target area. The second type of coaching we teach is supplemental coaching, where I might say, Chris, you know, I'd love to have you um, spend some time with Leticia and have her mentor you. I want you to interview her about that position, and I want you to come back and share with me what you learned. Now, I might also have you read a book on leadership. 
and I might have you observe uh, Helena and I want you to watch her, how she conducts her meetings. And I want you to journal two things she does well. So supplemental coaching are strategies that accelerate the direct coaching, yet don't take the manager any in-person time. I don't say this to sell. I'd say it as a, a strong perspective. When people go through our program, we never, ever get the objection of time. It doesn't mean they coach the next morning flawlessly. What it means is we've gotten past that barrier because they have choices. That's exactly why we built supplemental coaching. The third type of coaching is motivational coaching. I would say, especially with everything with the pandemic, this is the number one mistake leaders make. They try to motivate. I encourage leaders, do not try to motivate your employees. Try to find out what motivates them. The pandemic has turned people sideways. People have lost sight of their own goals, their own career aspirations. I would say moms, but certainly there are dads who have done this, worrying about getting kids on the bus. Are there, are they going to be at school this week? People have gone from offense to defense when it comes to themselves because we protected our, our home life, wow. our families, and we've gone into this defensive stance. People, one of our clients literally has over a 60% reduction in their emerging leader program because they no longer want to become managers based on what they've gone through. And so they've lost their motivation. And that's not a bad thing. A bad thing is to say, no, 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 you got to continue. <laughs> I know you don't want to do it, but you got to continue. So when we teach how to coach, and I'm talking to you, Chris, and you say, Tim, I want to become president of ATD. I can then say, you know, Chris, one of the opportunities you and I have together is to really upgrade your presentation skills. And, not but, and... Think about how that will lead you to your goal of becoming the president of ATD. Now I've tied a strength and opportunity to the area where you need to improve. Hopefully it didn't come off like constructive feedback. That's what leaders need to learn is how to have those conversations and demonstrate that language. I'm so glad you mentioned this, Tim, because in one of your articles, you mentioned creating a coaching map for managers to go along with training. Can you explain a little bit more about this? Sure. I am happy to say we're published in Forbes magazine on this. We call it qualms. So qualms is Q-A-L-M-S. I actually just gave it to you two minutes ago. So Q-A-L is questions, activities, and learning projects. So again, let's say, Leticia, I'm coaching you to become an influential leader. And let's say you and I have come to an agreement. You struggle with conversations of conflict. You just hate conflict. I might ask questions of you and I might say, well, what are some opportunities you feel like you would attain if you became better at conversations of conflict? What's the number one thing that's hindering you and how could we together pursue practicing so you became more confident? That's the cue. The action might be, let's practice it. Activities facilitate change. Questions facilitate not only clarification for the coach, yet self-awareness for the person that you're coaching. The learning project is the critical part. So I might say, well, Leticia, what I'd love to have you do is I want you to come in next week with one to two examples of where you felt like you had conversations that were tough or arduous outside of your comfort zone. One, what do you think you did successfully? And two, where do you feel like you have opportunities looking back where you could have had more uh, impactful conversations? The learning project is done between the coaching sessions. What it does is it bestows ownership and accountability on the rightful owner the person being coached. Now, if I'm just telling you to be confident, if I'm telling you don't be fearful, and I'm giving you what a lot of leaders do, what I call rhetorical mandates, if that worked, I wouldn't be in business. 
Exactly. Now, if I also find out your, your motivation is to become a manager and the stepping stone is to become an internal influential leader, I can also then use something called dovetailing, such as, Leticia, one of the things I love about working with you is, you know our products, people work well with you, um, you're engaging, you're a great adult uh, learner, and I think about adding conversations of conflict to your list of strengths, hearing that what goes through your mind. So what I did is I gained momentum in the conversation with three strengths. I inserted the word and, not but, but's the great verbal eraser to good good stuff. And then I grabbed the area that we need to address. Supplemental coaching, I could actually get you book on crucial conversations. And, you know, every two weeks, I want you to send me an uh, email summary of what you learned and what you successfully applied from that chapter. So when we develop maps, going back to your question, we're actually taking what we teach and using it as a system of custom development. So we do it for corporate values, sales processes, um, emotional intelligence uh, assessment results, predictive index. So whatever the outcome is, we can take what we teach, kind of like what Microsoft does, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, or their programs. The programming language is C++. For us, progress coaching is not just a program. It's also a mapping language. And that's how we build a lot of our custom solutions for clients. That's very interesting. I actually, um, I wonder, in many companies, sometimes when there are budget concerns, coaching tends to be one of the first things that goes. Can you talk to us a little bit about the return on investment for coaching and what that might look like? Sure. I think you're... We get the question all the time. How do you measure your program? And I get squeamish with that question because my question back is, how are you currently measuring your workplace? And very few people answer that. Here's why. A lot of times people will do the annual workplace engagement study. And then I ask, what are you doing with it? Most of the time, it's nothing because they don't know how to map or they don't know how to turn it into it. So what we look at with our clients is retention. We will look at areas of the company where there's been turnover. We will also look at recruitment. So if I want to work for Chris, I can find out what Chris is like going through LinkedIn, finding some people I know that know Chris, find out what she's like as a boss and do what? Start making some phone calls, right? Coaching isn't just something we have to do. It's a magnet. If we're not coaching, we're pushing people away. Silence is very loud to people and it leads to turnover. So the way we encourage people to measure it is in bi-monthly or quarterly assessments. We call them coaching pulses, um, which are really our version of a workplace engagement study. But you can use a workplace engagement study. Number two, we look at recruitment and we look at retention and we look at the prior three years and we'll take an average and then we will start to apply coaching in the areas and certainly hopefully the whole company but in those areas where they've had some challenges i'll give you a great example we're working with a publicly traded uh, life sciences company our most immature manager came to me last year and what i mean most immature uh, least tenured uh first time coaching first time managing Everybody's older than her by 10 to 15 years. She's new to life sciences. She said, how do I coach people who are getting job offers outside the company for more money? I said, okay, what else are they getting? Well, they're getting workplace policy um, where they can work where they want. And we're starting to ask people to come back into the office. How, how do I handle that? 
I said, or she said, how do I convince them not to do that? I said, you don't try to convince them. If you try to convince them, it's going to be a trigger. They're going to push back. I said, what would really be interesting is to ask them two questions. She said, what are the questions? Well, what are their plans for you specifically as it relates to your career goals? And how will that manifest itself to even greater financial return from an income standpoint? None of the three could answer that because they were leaving with very short-term thinking. I'm going to grab that extra 10, 20, 30 grand that they're offering me now. Second question she crafted was, in terms of their workplace policy, how long did they provide that commitment to that policy to you when they offered you that job? Nobody can answer the question. All three people decided to stay. So the client came back to me and said, you know, this is really amazing. I said, why is it amazing? Between onboarding, recruiting, training, physical cost, they estimate it's about a $60,000 onboarding process. We saved about $180,000. First time manager did it. Not me. I don't want to take credit. Yet she was willing to practice that conversation with me. Now, she had some tough demographics, right? People more experienced, more tenured, older. She's new to management. I said, don't try to win them over. Ask coaching questions. All three people decided to stay. And they said, you know, we went back to the people offering us jobs. They wouldn't make a commitment. So what's happened to people, especially during the pandemic, is we've become very short-term thinkers. We've become very much in the moment. How am I feeling? What am I going through? How's my mental health? You know, how do I help and protect my family? So to think long-term, when someone comes with $20,000 more a year, most people would grab it and you wouldn't blame them. Yet that doesn't really solve what's going on. And so what, pe- what we have to do as leaders, especially for ROI, is look at things like retention, onboarding costs, workplace engagement, um, return on investment. One of our infamous clients here in Wisconsin, where I'm at, you know, literally had a waiting list for years and years because they were such a strong coaching company. We started with them 21 years ago. At one point, they had a waiting list to get into their sales organization. They didn't even have to recruit anymore because the people were the recruiters. My boss has my back. My boss invests with me. My boss meets with me every week. What do we typically hear? My boss doesn't care. He or she doesn't have time. Oh, by the way, he or she is going to do the end of the year review. And if you don't spend time with your people and then you're going to evaluate me, very few people are going to say objectively, well, he didn't spend time with me, but boy, I think his insight the last 364 days have been fantastic. They don't, they're not going to accept it. They're going to immediately push back. And that's people typically quit managers. They don't quit organizations. Yeah. Wow. That was, uh, that was pretty smart. I love that. And what, what she did. Yeah. And she, and I'll tell you something, I've never been more proud and she didn't know what to do. So we practiced it together. I gave her the techniques and for her to go and do it really shows courage. And I mean, I went all the way up to the C-suite publicly traded company and I made a call and I said, if you do not praise her, I, 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 I threatened the guy. I made a joke. I said, I'm going to come beat you up. And he said, okay, I get, it. I've got to go praise her. I said, think about what she just did. Now, guess what everyone is hearing? The success she had. Yeah. Guess what other managers want? Well, how did you do that? Yep. They want to replicate it. Nice. So now what are some, uh, final question before we get to rapid fire, what are some, uh, resources or strategies? Let's say our listeners want to 
to add coaching into the learning process? You know, what are some ways that they can do this tomorrow? Strategies or resources that they can tap into? Yeah, I would come up with really two things. I, I, I would just give you two simple strategies. Questions that they can uh, provide their internal leaders, which I call training partners or coaching partners. Here are the questions we'd love to have you ask your people when they come back from our training, whether online, in-person, virtual, what have you. Number two, craft out activities that will facilitate the knowledge and or the skill that is related to the training. So we teach something called the tiers of learning. Very simple, knowledge, skill, and behavior. So if you're coaching someone, again, conversations of conflict, knowledge, how do they do it? Skill, if they're not going to practice it, and there's not a training department in the world that's continually practicing with everybody in the organization, that has to be bestowed upon the leader. And then this is where people get in trouble, the B, the behavioral. Confidence comes from two things confidence and positive reinforcement. It has never, ever solely been created through constructive feedback. Yet, when you go to an employee in the corporate world and you say, so Chris, I need to see in my office right away. What's the employee's typical <laughs> response when a boss says uh -oh. that? It's usually, uh-oh, what did I do wrong? So what happens is, is a lot of times our leaders are undermining the value of the very thing that's never been the problem, which has been training and talent development. Not intentionally, because it's really unbeknownst to them. So if you can map out questions and activities they can facilitate in direct correlation to your training, you're going to start to create the partnership that you need. Oh, that's great advice. All right, Tim, we have reached the end of our episode and we'd like to ask our guests rapid fire style questions. And each question requires less than 60 seconds to respond. Are you ready? Well, 60 seconds will be hard for me, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> All right, let's give it a shot. Give us one book that everyone must read and why. The Progress Principle by Teresa Amable. She talks about the value of progress and continuous feedback of strengths. That's led to a study she did at Harvard that showed that people 76% of the time were most motivated when they were progressing in their job. It was not reward, recognition, or money. And it talks directly to the value of coaching. Mm. Love it. Okay. What's a tool that you cannot live without? Questions. Oh, <laughs> complete sense. Okay. And what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Seek feedback before someone has to give it to you and you'll always be more accepting of it. We are so happy, Tim, that you joined us today to share your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, and a thank you to my co-host, Leticia, as well. Yeah, Tim, you have a lot of passion. And so I'm really grateful that you stopped by and spent some time with us. Thank you. Thank you for your time as well. And many thanks, of course, to our community for listening. And before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Do you need consultant services? The Metro DC chapter of ATD has many talented members. Go to dcatd.org and check out our consultants directory under the resources menu option. Love this episode? Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and provide a review.